Uh, the scripture reading will be from uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The last will be first and the first shall be last. It works uh, just the way that Jesus intended that in the passage, but it doesn't mean that the last sermon in a series is the first sermon in that series. It still is the last sermon in the series. And so uh, it's a bittersweet thing because what a great uh, meeting this has been. I hope it has sparked revival in some way or another in each of our lives as baptized believers. And I know that the seed of the gospel has been sown in any hearts that have not yet named him as Lord and obeyed the gospel. And we have one more opportunity to hear uh, Brother Chuck Monan right now. It's going to be great. Uh, before he speaks, I won't go in the full introduction again, but got a little gift for him. I'll, I'll leave this in your seat there. But this is Subita Coffee, uh, coffee which is produced as part of an effort that comes from Mission Upreach, which we support. Uh, the ministry of Phil and Donna Waldron in uh, Honduras. And uh, this coffee is raised by young men and women that uh, are being raised out of poverty, taught to farm, and that sort of thing. We know you love coffee. You've made that clear. And also, you got a The Great Church mug to take home with you. So you can always remember us every day and say, I once was with The Great Church, and I, I do hope that opportunity will be given again. Love you, Brother Chuck. Come talk to us. One of the things I've uh, noticed about being here is that you just have wonderful singing. And you got such a deep bench of song leaders. I get the feeling you got like 20 guys that are just great song leaders. This young brother, man, outstanding. Uh, but there was one issue with one of the lines in that last song. It said, old folks ain't so tired no more. Well, this old folk is, I'm telling you. And probably to stay awake on the way home, I'm going to be dipping my paw in that thing of coffee and eating it, <sighs> just crunching it. Yeah, I could use the caffeine, but it's been great. I, I appreciate all the new friends I've made, uh, some of the old friends we've uh, reacquainted with. Um, I just appreciate the hospitality and the great things that are happening here at the great church. Um, Dale had told me, he said, uh, you haven't met Josh before. I said, yeah, maybe once or twice we've been around. He said, he's one of the better ones we've got in the brotherhood these days. I hope you guys understand that. I hope you guys take good care of him and appreciate him and his good family. But it's been great to be with you these last few days. Uh, there's a passage that was read just a minute ago, Hebrews 10 and 25. We had this guy that I used to go to church with, uh, native Arkansan, not real bright, uh, like a lot of the folks there. But he said he, ha he had this verse translated it, and uh, he translated it into, from the Greek into the Arkansan. And it says in the ESV, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love 
and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He said, Brother Monan, you know what that verse means? I said, no, why don't you tell me? He said, it means that, that's a verse that says you can't skip church. I said, well, yeah, that's kind of what it's saying uh, in, in so many words. But there's something interesting about Sundays. And all the more as the years tick off and we grow older. Sundays, maybe in some places, aren't quite what they used to be. In his work, Voyage in the Dark, Jean Rhys says, The feeling of Sunday is the same everywhere. Heavy, melancholy, standing still. Like when they say, as it was in the beginning, is now and shall ever be, world without end. Uh, the former lead singer of the Smiths, Morrissey, wrote a song called, Every Day is Like Sunday. Every day is cloudy and gray. And then if you're familiar with the work of the late Louis Grizzard of Noonan, Georgia, in Atlanta, and all parts in between, he said that of all of the days and times in the week, his least favorite time all seven days was Sunday evening. There was just something empty and hollow about that. I've thought about that a lot because Sundays have always been really special to me. I look forward to Sunday. I understand the work and the stress and the strain that my fellow preachers are under. I, I know a little bit about it. I've been at it for a while. But I really can't say that there's ever been a Sunday that rolled around and I thought, oh, good grief, i got to preach again. I'm usually like a horse straining at the starting gate, ready to run up there and go. I just am like that. Unfortunately, you guys have caught me at my very worst because I'm going to drive home tonight and then drop straight away dead. But that's neither here nor there. That's just, uh, you know, this common cold thing that we still got with us. But Sundays have always meant something special to me. And I'm seeing that there's a shift in society away from that thing that has been special to me and to so many of you. Years ago, I started a practice that I continue today, albeit in a slightly different form. I started getting the Sunday copy of the New York Times. There is no paper in the world that is quite like the Sunday New York Times. It is about this thick. It's like taking two phone books home with you. And I didn't want to pay $7 for it, so the Starbucks that I visited every Monday morning, the guy gave it to me for free. I said, you sure you don't want anything for it? He said, yeah, it's an old newspaper, yesterday's news. You know what they do? They wrap fish with it. He said, go ahead and take it home. I said, okay. So I would usually take it home with me. Uh, I didn't read it on Sundays. Back then, my Sundays were pretty full, and they're still kind of full. But the New York Sunday Times was always full. Stories and interviews and columns. And now, just you know, for those of you that are easily shocked, it's a little on the liberal side. I don't agree with everything in it, but I can, I can read things I don't agree with. I think that's one of the ways you sharpen uh, your skills. But there's a lot in there that's really interesting. And one of my favorite, now I say all that, I don't get the physical copy of the Times anymore because now with everything online, I just got the New York Times app and I get it every day. 
So the Sunday paper is not quite that special because I've been reading it every day. I read the New York Times, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the Washington Post, the Detroit News, and smatterings of other things. But I'm just an inveterate newspaper junkie. But in the Sunday Times, there is something in that edition that is not in any of the other week's editions. It's a little article called Sunday Routine. And in Sunday Routine, they chronicle a typical Sunday in the life of a native New Yorker. And there's probably a thousand of them that are out there that you could go back and look up. But this particular one traced the Sunday routine of a chocolatier. You know what a chocolatier is? That's somebody that makes chocolates. It's not somebody like me who eats chocolates. You gotta actually make them. But a chocolatier by the name of Jacques Torres. He lives in an apartment in, Hell's in the Hell's Kitchen area of New York. And here's a typical Sunday for Torres. Now just take all of this in if you can. He gets up around 7.30 or 8 o'clock. He loads up the Krupp's espresso machine with Illy coffee. For those of you that are not familiar, Krupp's is a German machine. Illy is an Italian coffee. It's good that those punks that gave us such a bad time in World War II are actually contributing something to the common good now. Coffee machines and coffee. Croissants and TV5 French news for breakfast. I can't imagine what French news is, but I can tell you this. You know what the French army salute is? I give up, so uh, that, that's, a, that's a joke for those of you that know military history. Then he bikes around Central Park if the weather is good, then he takes out his boat near the Statue of Liberty to fish for striped bass. Okay. Then he rides his motorcycle around the city to one or two of his chocolate stores. Then he hangs around the stores, drinks espresso, and hands out lollipops to the kids that come in with their folks. And he takes the motorcycle back home. If no fish were caught, he stops to buy fish. Then he cooks a delicious dinner for two for himself and his wife. Then he relaxes afterward with the date night movie because he says Sunday is a special day for romance. Okay. And then sadly, a perfect day of doing just what you want ends with sleep. Now, take your church glasses off for just a minute. That sounds like a pretty fun day. I mean, it does, right? I'm not encouraging you to go out and do it. I'm just saying I can see how somebody might fall into that particular Sunday routine. But here's the sad thing about that. There's no place for God in there. He mentioned, he said, I do all the things on Sunday that I want to do. You know, something happened in the course of the first century that we don't have a date when it officially changed from this to this, but it just happened that Sunday started to be called what? The Lord's Day. Anybody ever wonder about that? Nobody had a council. Nobody voted it in. Was I correct in hearing that the government, this is the last year we're going to do the spring forward fall back 
time change. Did, did I hear that? Somebody told me that. I don't know. I, I, I hope they do. I wish they'd quit doing it because it affects old people and little kids uh, in, indiscriminately, and I'm the first one. But they never really said when Sunday changed to the Lord's Day, but we know why it changed to the Lord's Day. It was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what happened. So Christians started calling that not Sunday or not the first day of the week, but the Lord's Day. And we still call it that today. Well, polls indicate that an increasing number of Americans are opting for a change of plans on the Lord's Day. When I was a kid growing up, I was always told that 40%, give or take a few points, 40% of Americans went to church every Sunday. You realize that that is not at all accurate. Recent research indicates that the figure is somewhere between 13 and 17%. Let's go ahead and estimate on the high side. That means that what you're doing today about 17% of Americans are doing this. You, my friends, are in a decided minority because about 83% are driving around their motorcycle or they're fishing for striped bass or they're handing out lollipops to little kids or they're cooking dinner. Okay, nothing wrong with that. But again, where's God in all of this? Now, I was curious, and I talked to a friend of mine who had been doing some doctoral research in this area. I said, why did they miss that figure so much when only 17% of Americans were going to church and 40% of Americans said they were going to church? This is what he said. He said, that's something called the halo effect. I'm like, the halo effect? What does that mean? He said, well, it's when a researcher calls you at your house and they ask you a question and you give him the answer that makes you look better than you actually are, but it's not the real answer. Do you go to church every Sunday? Yes, every Sunday. Twice on Columbus Day. It's like and that person that's saying that probably hadn't been to church since the Jimmy Carter administration. So the halo effect is making you look like more of a saint than you actually are, which is rich, because God certainly knows the difference, doesn't he? You might fool some of the people some of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you're not going to fool all the people all the time, and you're not going to fool God any of the time. So what it comes down to, I guess, is this. Are we going to carve out times out of our schedule to do what we've done today, to commune around the Lord's table, to listen to the word of God read and proclaimed, to sing songs of praise to him, to encourage each other, to, to make our priorities God first and then everything else second or last? Or is our Sunday routine going to be to do what we want to do and only what we want to do? I figured something out as I've gotten a little bit older, and that is that much of life and most of the Christian life involves not doing just what you would want to do, but doing what God wants you to do. If I did what I wanted to do, I would sit around, drink coffee, eat, read books, and watch football, and play some with my dogs and my grandkids. That's it. 
I wouldn't do anything else. But you know what I spend most of my week doing? A lot of other stuff besides that. And that's called being a responsible adult. That's called being an effective Christian. Almost every time I read the Sunday New York Times and read the Sunday routine of these people, I'm telling you right now, if I read 100 of those articles, 98 or 99 of them don't ever, ever mention going to church. Now, I don't say that to frighten you. I don't even say that necessarily to alarm you. I say that to inform you that as you continue to go down life's little road, you're going to be an outlier. You're going to be different. You're going to be an outcast. I'm not anticipating there's going to be a massive return of this 83% that hardly ever go to church and suddenly they'll start coming. There'll be some that will. The word of God is powerful and effective and it can bring people back. But for the most part, once people establish their routine, they're in it. Here's what I'm saying to you. Don't ever establish a routine that doesn't begin with God. You put God first, everything else will fall into place. I wouldn't suggest that I've got a great marriage or a great family or great dogs or great anything because of anything inherently good in me. I have those things because I have tried as faultingly in my own way as I can to be faithful to God. And when you put God first, God will bless you. It's as simple as that. All of us here can give testimony to that. But as we think about that Sunday routine, and we're coming to the end of yet another Sunday today, you've got one of two choices. You can say with Jean Rhys that the feeling of Sunday is the same everywhere. Heavy, melancholy, standing still, like when they say as it was in the beginning is now and will be forever. Amen. Or you can say with God's people, we've got another first day of the week, another Lord's Day to remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If Christ did that for us, can't we make the commitment to be around his table every Lord's Day, to put him first, to pray, to model our lives after his example? Because after all, that's what life is about. You can ride your motorcycle around, you can go fishing, you can go do this, you can go do that. At the end of the day, is that bringing you closer to God, or is it just making you a little more selfish? I, I've noticed this over the years. When I was a kid, I lived in Flint, Michigan. Not the most religious of towns. Most everybody there was Catholic, and a lot of my Catholic friends would go to church on Saturday night. So Sunday morning came around, they weren't necessarily there. But even back then, in the 60s and the 70s, most families, or at least a good number of them, would get in the family truckster and they'd go to church. You know what I see now in the really nice neighborhood that I live in, in Maumel, Arkansas? I see people in their golf carts going over to the country club. I see people loading up their boats to go to the lake. I see people walking their dogs. I see wives walking their husbands. 
and a lot of those other good things. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad those people are enjoying life. But I always have that nagging feeling. They're leaving the most important thing in life out. And that's God. Let me encourage you to always, always put God right at the center of your Sunday routine and of your routine for every other day as well. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you're here today and you haven't been putting God first, maybe the time is now to make that decision to say from now on, God is first. I'm putting God first in my life, come what may. Maybe you're here and you've never been baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God's Son. All preparations are made. You can do that today. Being born again of the water and the Spirit. Having your sins forgiven and being given the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. Whatever the need that you have, if you're subject today to the invitation of Jesus, the Son of God, we invite you to come as we stand and as we